I guess I just I just don't understand why you, you anyone would use spaces over tabs. Like if it's all the same, well, why not just use tabs? Because it could look different on other people's computers. Tabs create smaller file sizes. I mean, I do not get why anyone would use spaces over tabs. I mean, why not just use Vim over Emacs? <laughs> I do use Vim over Emacs. Oh, God help us. Okay, uh, you know what? I just, I don't think this is gonna work. I'm so sorry. Uh, I mean, like, what? Right, we're gonna bring kids into this world with that over the heads? That's not really fair to them, don't you think? Kids? We haven't even slept together. And guess what? It's never gonna happen now because there's no way I'm gonna be with someone who uses spaces over tabs. Richard! Podcasting at the crossroads of fandom, this is Northwest Nerd, bringing you news, entertainment, and the stories that make us nerds, or I guess in this case, this very special episode, we will bring you very uncomfortable discussions. Hi there, I'm pop culture journalist Dyer Oxley. I am very excited to introduce my guest host for this episode, Egypt, from the Comic Dads, longtime friend of the podcast, how are you doing, Egypt? Doing great. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, I'm a, I, you know, I'm a big fan. I, from day one of me starting everything that we've done, I came to you and I was like, "How are you doing this? And what are you doing? Because I want to be like you." You're in a podcast called Comic Dads. You are a parent, and I oh, feel yeah. like with what we're about to dive into, it kind of has layers among all those things. At least, I mean, from everybody that I talk to. Okay, so. Something needs to be said here, just up front. I want to I want to make something clear. Mm-hmm. This is not an episode about politics or any particular issues or political figures, things like that. Northwest Nerd, we're not promoting, we're not endorsing anything political. But I'm going to be honest, politics are going to be mentioned in some form and from quite a variety of different angles and why exactly am I clarifying this? The theme of this episode is disagreeing without demonizing, rising above division, and finding civilities. So basically put, having differences without being jerks. So first up, we're going to talk with the Northwest activist who started a nonpartisan effort to help with the 2020 election, and they're doing it by following the Prime Directive. Star Trek fans know exactly what I'm talking about. Then we're going to step back and have a little chat with two very different talk show personalities, Dave Ross and Michael Medved, left-leaning and right-leaning, and for some reason, they really get along. Finally, Egypt and I will welcome Melina White to the podcast for a roundtable discussion. Melina is the founder of the Seattle Conservative blog, And we will be talking about some of our favorite lessons from pop culture and how it can maybe help us through tense times and tense issues that we face. That's kind of what I mean about this not really being about politics. But look, you're going to hear people's opinions. And nobody on this episode, nobody aligns with each other. And that's kind of the point. That is actually what this is all about. It's about us. It's about you. And it's about me. It's about every other listener here and your neighbor 
and Egypt here, and that person who you have never met before, and maybe you'll never meet them, but maybe you've seen them online or on TV. All of us. Well, it's it's funny. People, uh, you would assume that all of us being adults and, um, you know, having different life experiences, we would... Uh, look at each other and kind of not not sympathize i don't think that's the right word i think more understanding. Be adults basically being adults yeah being yeah. adults and understanding that people have different views than you yeah demonizing is a really good word to put it i got that from somebody i interviewed recently and it was a very partisan type interview uh mm -hmm. grabbing their opinions ahead of the election and they said that i am i am definitely this far on this spectrum politically but once I once I start getting to the demonizing people thing, I know that's where I've gone too far. You know, like that's, that's fantastic. I, I thought that was a very inspiring comment, especially in today's environment. This is this is awesome. And I'm again, thank you for having me on Northwest Nerd. You guys are awesome. And I love the fact that you guys do things like this. You bring in hot topics that are uncomfortable for most people, but. It's unsaid right now. Every, we're right. all in this uncertainty, like, ooh, can we say this? Can we do this? My gamble for this episode is going to be this, is I'm going to bet, I'm going to hope, okay. that there are more folks out there that aren't clinging to these extreme fringes that we love to read headlines about and we love to see videos on YouTube about. There's mm -hmm. more folks that do not care to freak out and hate on people. And I know that there's yeah. this illusion out there called social media that makes it look like that's <laughs> not going on. Even if you disagree with people, I'm willing to bet there's enough of us out there to rise above that. And we're going to find out a little bit in this episode. Let's go to our very first segment. I don't want to kill anyone. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. I came across something ahead of the election. This is going to be our one little election segment here, but it is nonpartisan. It's very important for me to say that because Trek the Vote is a campaign that started in the Seattle area. Here's I've the thing. Heard of that. Yeah, well, okay. Glad you brought that up because here's the thing about Trek the Vote. The Trek the Vote we are talking about is uh, founded by Tay Phoenix uh, as an independent effort to get volunteers to staff polling stations to ensure secure elections. I know Tay Phoenix. I'm from Seattle. She's an activist and musician from Seattle. She is never shy about her stances on political issues. So before this, I noticed her at protests. I knew who she was. But this election season, she did something different. And that's what kind of, I was like, huh. She opted to do a nonpartisan campaign. And this really this campaign is building off the philosophies found in Star Trek. It aims to get Trek fans to help out with the election. She ended up pulling in a whole range of Star Trek fan, uh, well, actors like elites, Gates McFadden, Armin Shimmerman, Will Wheaton. Whoa. And so they got this going in late September. But then here's the thing. Uh, they got the website up, Trek the dot vote. And then the Democratic Party got a collection of its own Star Trek actors and they did their own Trek to vote for their candidate. Joe Biden, and all of a sudden, like, if you looked online, we had these competing hashtags of Trek the Vote on the internet, one going one place and one going the other. So I just want to make sure I said that because it's important to understand that the Trek the Vote we're talking about is on this podcast is not affiliated with any political party. <laughs> um, yes, the organizers are very political in their own way, but I was able to talk with uh, Tay Phoenix about all of this and why they opted specifically to step away from the whole partisan thing and promote this nonpartisan effort. 
So essentially what we're doing is using the language and themes of Trek to bring people into the process of volunteering for election integrity. Um, we have organizations like Fair Count, which does poll watching to look for voter suppression and uh, nonpartisan get out the vote to make sure that people, particularly people who are likely to be targeted for voter suppression, have a plan for how to vote. Um, another one of our partners is 866-R-VOTE, that's election protection, and they do everything from monitoring social media for disinformation to um, making sure, again, doing that proactive vote, voter outreach to make sure that people have um, you know, the, the voting plan that they need to monitoring and making sure that voting places have all the supplies and PPE that they need. And then we've got two partners, the Poll Hero Project and Power the Polls, both of which are recruiting people to actually be poll workers, to be physically inside of polling places. They get paid to do so and they, they hand out ballots, they check people in, they make sure people understand how to use the voting machines. And we're onboarding several other partners now in some of those same spaces, right? So basically we're, we're facing this huge people power shortage, right? Because of the pandemic, especially with poll workers, we need people to do all of these functions. And I thought, why not Starfleet? Why not Starfleet to the rescue? We're adhering to the prime directive. We are not interested in influencing the outcome of the election in any way. Our only goal is to ensure that every eligible American is able to vote easily and vote safely and that all of those ballots are very rigorously validated and scrupulously counted and the outcome will be as it should be. I love that. A pr the prime directive. What, what a perfect... What a perfect philosophy to, to engage this with, too. Um, exactly. Which is part of the reason I thought, why not Trekkies? We understand right. this stuff already. <laughs> well, it's, and so in your gathering, a federation of voters of sorts. Exactly. Uh, uh, let, me, let me ask you a little bit further about that nonpartisan aspect of this, because I know you because I'm from Seattle. Um, mm -hmm. I, you're you're a, a local activist. You've had uh, your own dealings within the political spectrum. Clearly, you have your own perspective on things politically. A lot of people that are yeah. involved with it um, have, uh, like Will Wheaton, for example. I, I follow all these people on Twitter, and, mm -hmm. and they're obviously not silent about what they think. But there is a very hardcore core nonpartisan effort that you seem to be really driving home with this thing? Like, why did you say, okay, no, we have to be nonpartisan, prime directive? Well, be, first of all, because I, I was looking at where the shortage was, right? The shortage was not in people who are willing to go out and be very loud about what they think, right? And I'm out and loud about what I think, and I'm not going to try to obfuscate that. I am an extremely politically loud individual and I live firmly on the left. But the shortage is in people who are able to take a step back from their own viewpoint and decide that democracy overall is more important and to then be able to step into that place where they are willing to be professional, to interface with the public, to get people what they need in order to cast their ballot, which they have every right to mark that ballot in whichever way they see fit. And we would never want to stop anybody from doing that because that's un-American. And we need more people like that. And I knew that Trekkies would get it because we are so scrupulous, you know, and, and, I, and I think the best candidates will win. I think the democracy works when, it's, when everyone actually has the right to cast their votes safely and easily, democracy really works. And that's what we want this election and every election. Uh, I am kind of curious, how did this even come about? Because at one point, it wasn't just, oh, I recognize that person from Seattle, but 
I'm seeing Gates McFadden and Will Wheaton and is that Garrick? And then, you know, all these people just kind of like popped up in this video. It, it, it went beyond just us fans. Actual Star Trek elites kind of got involved as well. So the, the, the way that the idea came to me, I was on the phone with a good friend of mine who has been working in the immigration space for some time. And um, we were both sort of lamenting the voter suppression that was taking place, um, particularly against naturalized immigrants. So people who are United States citizens who've immigrated here um, and they have a right to vote. And there has been a concerted effort to make it difficult for them to do so. And we were lamenting that. And I said to her, my God, I just wish Starfleet could beam in and fix this. And then I realized, okay, wait a minute, we can, <laughs> Starfleet can beam in, we can be Starfleet. So that's part of how this, like, this idea started to emerge for me. Um, and I reached out to some other friends who are Trekkies who are involved in activist spaces. And we sat down and we started to kind of talk about it and plan it out. And I knew that I had uh, sort of three ways I could call on people. The first was that I was in a music video with Armin Shimmerman and Kitty Swink's nephew about a decade ago. And I had just like filed that away in my head. Like, oh, he's related to Armin Shimmerman. <laughs> so I called him. I was like, I have no idea. Do you remember me or not? But and he was like, yeah, of course I remember you. Yeah, I'll totally send this to, to my uncle Armin and Aunt Kitty. And the next thing I knew, I was hearing from Kitty Swink. And that's how Armin and Kitty came along. And then, you know, they helped bring a bunch of people in. Um, Chase Masterson, I was introduced to by a friend of mine who works for Move On, um, who they just had happened to work together. And uh, I had a mutual friend who knew Will, and Will introduced me to Gates. And so that's kind of how it's just, you know, you just kind of work the network that you have if you have that network. And it, but it, I mean, people thought it was a worthy thing to get involved with. So they started to come to me too. And we have a bunch more writers and actors now who are interested. We're probably going to do another series of videos. You now have me trying to think about how many degrees of separation I would personally have from like Brent Spiner or something like that. Like, you were in a, a music video a decade ago and just were able to like pull that connection out of your back pocket. I love that. You, you've talked about then. I'm kind of curious about where do we go from here? I mean, obviously, this is geared around the election 2020. That's less than a month-ish away. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a pretty good effort you got going. Is it just kaputs after that? Mission accomplished? No. Or? So the election is not over when polls close. The election is over when votes are certified, when elector, slates of electors are filled, when Congress certifies the results. That's when the election is over. We're just not used to that part taking place in public because we're so used to elections going smoothly. This election is not going to go smoothly. And that is not a partisan thing to say. There are many, many, many nonpartisan organizations that have concluded this after multiple simulations. You know, we have a situation here where, where it is likely that there's going to be an increased need for civic engagement on a large scale in order to ensure that all of the ballots that have been safely and easily cast are rigorously validated and certified and counted. And that process is going to require people to engage with their elected officials. People, like people that you like, you don't even like you, you might even live two doors down from somebody who's responsible for your local elections operations and you wouldn't know it, right? These are not particularly famous people. 
but they're going to be under so much scrutiny and so much pressure, and they're going to be likely harassed. And as communities, we need to circle around these people and make sure that they have the air cover they need to do their jobs. So all of these things, we will be calling on Trek the Vote volunteers in the, in the days and weeks after the, the polls close to ensure that the process of counting these ballots is treated with the respect that it deserves. You know, it's interesting and, and it always stands out to me that the states that do mail-in voting that make voting easy and convenient tend to be states that are majority white because so much voter suppression uh, is targeted specifically at states that have larger black populations. Um, and it's not, de- it's not democracy. It's, it's, un- it's un-American to do that. And that's part of what we're here to fight against. I don't have to wait for Starfleet. I can be Starfleet. Yeah. I am Starfleet and we are Starfleet and we can do things to bring the world about that we want to live in. And it, and it takes us making an effort and it takes us connecting with each other and it takes us investing in our principles, irrespective of any partisan ideology, to see that we are going to create a world where everybody is treated fairly and decently. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one singer. Okay, we are going to take a step away from fandom just for a second here. I thought that it just might be worth taking this conversation to a a dark place. It's full of politics and actually worse, talk radio. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Just kidding. It's not that bad. I'm bringing in two personalities here. One, if you've listened to the morning news while commuting around the Seattle area, you're most likely familiar with Dave Ross. He hosts Seattle's Morning News on Cairo Radio. He has been a news personality in the region for decades. And then also Michael Medved. He is a nationally syndicated conservative voice and a pop culture commentator. And once upon a time, I worked in the same building as these two guys. And I was able to observe them for quite some time and how they would communicate with each other. Two very different perspectives on life, but I mean, they were so friendly. There was a certain wisdom when they interacted. So one day I cornered them and I was able to get them on mic to talk about just this issue. I just want to note here, this interview was recorded nearly a year ago before when I'm publishing it now. It was originally slated for a whole other feature, but you know how pandemics happen and things get thrown off. I felt that this was a very important discussion, especially these days, so I'm presenting it here now with Michael Medved and Dave Ross. Dave, raised Catholic, 
ran as a Democrat at one point, have a talk radio show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, raised Jewish, has a conservative radio talk show. You guys work in the same building. Um, why aren't why aren't you jerks to each other? <laughs> <laughs> well, I because I, we're not jerks, I guess. I, don't know. I mean, my 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 whole philosophy of the talk show, I think, is is Michael's too, is that. You'll take a a good idea from uh, whatever the source and and see uh, how far it goes. So, um, I mean, I've found myself when, when I was doing the talk show. I, don't, I haven't done it for years now, but uh, I would read a variety of magazines from New Republic to Washington Monthly to to Reason um, to the Nation. Um, the National Review from time to time, just to see what people were uh, were thinking. I, I think where the where the jerkdom comes in is when people are either having trouble coming up with a cogent argument or have discovered that their argument is wrong, but they can't let it go, and so they resort to calling your names, uh, calling your names, or impugning your character. In it's some a way. pride thing, you think? Maybe, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, beyond that, I mean, I've I've actually known. Dave longer than anybody else who works in this building uh, because we met the first time at a previous Cairo studio, actually, where I was coming up doing book tour. Hollywood versus America. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) And that's uh, that's a long time ago. That's 1992. So um, uh, we've known each other a long time. I've always respected Dave. He used to have a thing that he said very regularly, which is coming from the left, coming from the right, uh, so you're totally surrounded and don't know what to expect. Something like that. Uh, which, um, and and I, I, uh, I, I do think it's, both of us pride ourselves on doing talk shows that are a little bit less predictable, a little bit more open-minded. In every conversation I ever have with Dave, um, I end up learning something and gaining from the experience. So why be jerky? When, when we did that first interview, Hollywood versus America, um, I, I recognized I was sitting across from somebody who was a conservative. And I, I don't really come, I don't know where, where I could say I come from liberal roots because I don't. We were, I mean, I grew up in, in New York and Westchester County, which is a fairly rich Republican area, but it was sort of, it was like, um, it was Rockefeller conservatism. It, it wasn't the... What we see now. Anyway, I was listening to to uh, Michael, and and it was a fairly conservative take on, on why Hollywood produces, I think, so much violence. Right? Well, it's just violence, and and just basically one of the my early chapters was called a bias for the bizarre. Yeah, and uh, I said that makes sense. So who cares how he has been pigeonholed in terms of his viewpoint? The argument made sense to me. So this is interesting. This kind of brings up a point that there seems to be no fear to dip your toe into someone else's perspective. Um, Michael, on the other hand, I remember watching Jeb Bush come into the station and then Cory Booker on Uh your show. Right. right. And then Sean Astin, who is, I believe, a Hillary supporter. Yeah. On a conservative show. Right. And and Sean Astin, by the way, is a terrifically underrated actor. Yeah. And uh, I got to know him because of a wonderful film he did called Rudy which is a film that people still watch. It's the best film ever made about Notre Dame football. People still chant Rudy. Whenever yeah. You Rudy, yeah. yeah. And and Sean Astin was a big part of the success of that film. In any event, part of what bothers me right now is rhetoric on both sides, that if the other guys win, it's an extermination event. 
this is the last chance we ever had. As I learned when I ran, after writing my first fundraising letter, which was sort of <laughs> nuanced and mild and moderate and didn't have a single bold or underlined word, the campaign manager comes and says, you're not going to raise any money with something like that. You get a, you have you have to you have to remind people that there is an existential threat here if you expect to raise any money. It, I to me is just it's it's fear. That's 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 the basic thing you have to engender in people fear that unless they give you money, life as they know it will will never be the same. Which is a, which is a terrible message, of course, because the one thing that I take away from the whole Trump nightmare, and I I. I did not vote for Trump. I cannot imagine that I will vote for Trump this time. Uh, the, the guy's a menace. But but having said that, the, the big message is the system holds. There are a lot of good people who work in government at various levels and people of conscience. And America's going to be okay. That reminds me of something you said once and it, and it kind of stuck with me. And I think you said it on Dave's show. Talking about Trump, and the relationship with Democrats in office saying that they they aren't your enemy, they're your opposition. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 was, I was very concerned recently, and this brings it back to the world of popular culture. Uh, Tracy Letts, who's a very good playwright, good actor, has a new play on Broadway, a Helen Hayes Theater, just opened. It's called Linda Vista. And apparently it has one gigantic applause line where people stand up in the audience and they just cheer. And the uh, main character is sort of a, uh, a Lothario, aging Lothario who's going through midlife crisis and it, multiple broken marriages and stuff like that. And at one point he says with a drink in his hand, oh, the Trump supporters, those people with MAGA hats, you can't be friends with those people. People applaud spontaneously. I, to ever say that you can't be friends with someone because of political disagreement is is sad and pathetic. Um, I think about uh, the late John McCain and how we miss him, who had a genuine friendship, a real friendship with Ted Kennedy. He had a real friendship with, uh, with Hillary Clinton uh, and with tons of other people who disagreed with him on everything and including explosive issues like uh, gun control and, uh, and human life issues, um, uh, abortion issues, all kinds of things they disagreed on. But so what? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, the, these are questions of policy. Uh, you can be friends with good people, and they're good people on both sides. Oh, my dad was a Rush Limbaugh listener. <laughs> and even when your show was he, on against Rush, yeah, well, he did, he was in New York. My show is not on in New York. He okay. would listen to my commentary. Over okay, in good, New York, good, but, good. But um, we did not talk politics much because I wasn't interested in in getting into a political argument with uh, with my dad. But what it taught me was, and I and I learned this in just in covering uh, politics and um, and covering. We've done like three New Hampshire primaries now. And you go into the crowds, and, and of course, last time um, uh, we did it, we talked with Trump supporters in New Hampshire, and they were fine people. I mean, they were fine people. They yeah. were they they had a point of view. They, I, I think, many of them have probably changed their minds now, but um, they had legitimate reasons for fearing what Hillary Clinton and the Democrats would uh, would do to the America's culture and. And they felt that Trump was the answer. 
Um, I mean, my requirements in a neighbor are are pretty simple. Uh, don't party after nine. <laughs> Maintain your lawn, at least so that your dandelion spores don't get into mine. And uh, be a good neighbor. And I, you know, your your politics are part of you, but they they don't define you. I didn't plan on asking this, but uh, have you guys ever had to navigate that, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with the family and, you know, the oh yeah don't don't bring up uh, politics or religion or Mac versus PC or something like that? And then there, there have been family conversations or conversations with friends where I've changed the subject quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that's what that's what you do. I, I, I don't think it's worth winning the argument at the expense of a friendship, quite frankly, because I think friendships are are far more important than any kind of political agreement. Uh, it, it, it's interesting because we, we've always had that because we've, I mean, I have three brothers and we're close. And uh, two of my brothers and I, it's shocking how much we agree on everything. And then there's one brother who I was talking to last night uh, who's different <laughs> and has a very different point of view. But he's still our brother and that's fine. And actually, we, we Trump has united all of us, which is wonderful. You know, maybe it's just drawing from your own experience of two gentlemen working in a building, you know, on opposite sides of many perspectives and maybe agree on some things. But, I mean, what is your advice to somebody on any sort of disagreement or spectrum or they really just can't get past that one tweet that they saw from a friend or all that post on Facebook? Well, I think part of the problem is that when people see something appear on a computer screen, they assume it has some sort of authority, <laughs> that that tweet from somebody means something. This is just another person. This is, this is not the principal of your school about to put something on your permanent record that will follow you throughout your life. This is just another person whose viewpoint is different from you. So stop assigning this... Uh, 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 the importance of uh, what having been uh, criticized in the New York Times or something, right? This is just another person, and I find that works. I also find that if you just reply and engage with somebody and don't don't rise to the bait, just state your argument with without um, exaggeration or animus, they will sometimes come back to you in an entirely different voice. So you can have a discussion. Now, people who, you know, you try that and they come back and they, and just, they just keep you calling names, I just, then I just ignore them. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the most important thing um, is keeping some kind of historical perspective. And uh, I, I've reached an age where I'm old enough to have some historical perspective. I, um, I, I was very involved in the anti-war movement when I was in college. I mean, it was, uh, I was on the National Steering Committee for the Vietnam Moratorium, which is where I met Hillary Clinton for the first time. And I came to believe that what we were talking about, which was immediate unconditional withdrawal of Vietnam from Vietnam, was wrong. Um, and it was wrong because of the horrendous suffering that was imposed on that country. Uh, the, um, uh, one of the talking points we always had in the anti-war movement is there'll be no bloodbath, no bloodbath. That's... Well, there was a bloodbath. I mean, there were a million people at least who were killed in Cambodia, and there were over 100,000 who were killed in Vietnam and several million who were put in re-education camps and fled on small boats and drowned. I mean, it, was, it was a nightmare. And that ability to look back and say, okay, I was wrong about that. 
I think is is very important. And so, and the other the other lesson from history is that that America will do okay. Try to keep some historical perspective, and by all means, buy my new book. Um, <laughs> I mentioned I was in the anti-war movement. I was in the Robert Kennedy campaign, and I was there at the assassination in in June of 1968. So the Still one of the biggest. I didn't know that. You life. never told me that. Yeah, I was interviewed Yikes. three times by the FBI. I was close enough to. Yeah, the, I had taken a leave of absence from my junior year at Yale, and I was and I was uh, a volunteer in the campaign. I'd campaigned in Oregon, and then we came down to the California primary, and that was the victory celebration for the California primary, where he was shot. In any event, what, what I remember, because I was very caught up to that with, with that, and then we we had an organization called Kennedy Students for a New America um, that I was an officer of that was trying to keep the Kennedy student movement together, not very successfully. Uh, in any event, the right after Kennedy's death, at, uh, right after the funeral, which was at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Washington, John Updike, the novelist, said, I now believe God has withdrawn his special blessing from America. That was in June of 1968. If you look at all the things this country has accomplished for the enormous good of humanity since 1968, since 68, we put a man on the moon, we won the Cold War, we developed this amazing machine, we have them in front of us right now, which has changed the way we all lived. We have largely solved or gone a long way to solving AIDS. I mean, what America has done for the world since God allegedly removed his special blessing on this country is phenomenal. It's almost beyond imagining when you think of literally the hundreds of millions of people who lived under under really brutal tyranny in Eastern Europe. Uh, and I've been to Poland. I know uh, Dave has been to Eastern Europe. This yeah. This is a great accomplishment. And it's a bipartisan accomplishment because it's President Truman and President Kennedy and President Eisenhower and, and yes, President Reagan and Bush. And, and here we are. And I, I do believe that, uh, that as dark as things look, and Washington, D.C. is just depressing as it can be, but uh, we'll, we'll be okay. We're Americans, and I, I do believe that... Uh, God's Hand is Still on America, which is the title of my book, God's Hand on America. So, end with a plug. Okay. <laughs> and I would just remind people that media is not reality. That's why it's called media. It mediates between what's real and what's not. And in every major story I've covered, including uh, you know, in New York the week after 9-11, it was this horrible disaster. And yet I reflected on the, the flight that I took across the country going to the city that day. You look down. Everything is normal. The amber fields of uh, grain and the majestic mountains until you got to New York and you saw that column of smoke rising from the World Trade Center, what was left of it. But even in New York City, uh, coming in that day into, into Manhattan and coming down the West Side Highway, the city was still normal until you got south of Canal Street. This is the same when um, during the when the Berlin Wall came down, uh, the revolution in, in Czechoslovakia, the the Yeltsin episode in, in Moscow. There was this place where all the cameras were focused, but off stage was what life, 
going on as normal. And that's the way it is for most of us. So just keep it in perspective. If you're sitting there watching cable TV 24 hours a day, you're going to be depressed (laughs) and you'll need therapy. But what you have to do is give equal time in your brain to the rest of the day when you're walking around and nothing bad happens to you. In fact, a lot of good things happen to you. But of course, don't make the news because they're not sufficiently interesting or scary to a large enough number of people to bring ratings in. These people are members of a community that care about where they live. So what I hear when I'm being yelled at is people caring loudly at me. Okay, my co-host for this episode, Egypt, he is still with me. He has been prepped and he has been primed. But joining me and Egypt for this discussion is Melina White, founder of the Seattle Conservative. It's a blog and its SEO is pretty fantastic, so it's very easy to find. Uh, Welcome to Northwest Nerd, Melina. Very first time. Thank you for having me. I am excited to have this conversation. I am very excited for a couple of reasons. Melina, specifically, you have kind of carved a niche for yourself in Seattle, of all places, um, of kind of being a communicator. I mean, as your blog implies, you are a Seattle conservative, uh, and folks really like talking to you, even on stage. Some of these communication events are on stage. Uh, KUW has done curiosity clubs, and you've taken part in that. It's kind of like I also wanted Egypt here because he's he's got the perspective of like a bartender and a, and a parent. And during these times, I thought it was all a very good kind of mix of perspectives. The chit chat about how to basically get along. <laughs> Again, it sounds so weird. It sounds so weird to even say that as a theme. I have no idea why. It's just it's it sounds so bizarre to have that actually be a theme of a podcast. We can all be kind. But um, point is. I knew that this discussion or this episode might not be easy to pull off. Kind of initially planned to do uh, another episode and kind of make it jokey and nerdy, like Star Trek versus Star Wars and Mac versus PC. Um, but then this just everything kind of snowballed during this year, and I felt like it it kind of had to be done and couldn't wait. And this would have been the right time for it. So I reached out to a few folks to take part. Um, I, I initially thought this roundtable I could have it be uh, a little bit bigger. Uh, which this also means why I'm so very grateful for you two for being very brave and positive about coming on. But Did people get scared? There was a lot of folks who were really scared of this discussion. Um, I took Brandon, who helps out with this podcast, he was, I could tell he was like sweating when I brought it up. He he thought this was probably going to be a bad idea. And, a bloodbath. Uh, yeah, because everybody <laughs> is so tense right now. Everybody is so mm-hmm. kind of on edge. Point being, I got a few uh, not this time type responses. Uh, one person actually had the most amazing response for not being here. I'm not going to say who, but uh, when they said about this whole division thing and people being civil, they actually quoted the movie War Games. So I'm going to steal it right now. If you know the movie War Games from the 80s with Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy, yes. he quoted the computer Jacob and said, basically, division being civil and, and all the detention going on right now said it's a strange game the only winning move is not to play and so i I disagree with that i think i think right now is the perfect time to stand out well because everyone mm -hmm. else is too afraid to talk about things where i'm like you can agree with me or not and i it doesn't affect my day like i'm just i'm being more 
conscious to other people's feelings yeah i think but like at the same time i'm not gonna bite my tongue if that makes any sense at all mm-hmm. that leads me to kind of like my first little question for us all here is why do you think folks are so shy and cautious about this topic and these discussions because the the thing that you just laid out i don't think should be all that threatening but i feel like it is <laughs> I, I think really for for some people there are legitimate fears about their livelihood, <laughs> about their relationships with their family. Uh, and, and I'm talking about both sides, you know, whether you're outspokenly supporting Trump or not, you know, supporting Biden or, or, or another way. This isn't directly related to the the eventual election, but I think it's very political on what's been happening in our country mm-hmm. during COVID. But I mean, a perfect example is a gentleman who worked at the $3 bill cinema in Capitol Hill. Oh, yeah. He was a, a bit unsp- outspoken and unhappy with how the city council was handling the chop. And and they terminated him. And what was surprising to me is he, like, reported and said, hey, I got fired because I was speaking out against Capitol Hill businesses being vandalized. And so I was like, okay. As someone who many years ago worked in HR, I'm always like, mm, there, there might be more to this story. But then they came out and said, oh, yeah, we fired him for that. <laughs> I had that exact same thought about that incident because this sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a federal protection, your political viewpoints. Yeah, freedom of speech, Well, not even that, but like specifically when you talk about, um, you know, you can't be fired because of your gender. Um, if, you're, if you're above the age of 40 for ageism and one of them is your political viewpoints. But mm-hmm. I feel as if our country has gotten so divisive that companies have the courage to discriminate again on both sides and people are okay with it. They're like, yeah, you should have fired that person. And it just is amazing to me how extreme we've gotten that we actually want to threaten someone's livelihood, you know, Mm -hmm. someone's ability to disagree with us. And it's, it's very sad because we may have disagreements on who should be president. We may have disagreements about certain political issues but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the ability to be a healthy and productive human being. I feel like oh, you have crazy. a strong tie to this particular concept, Melina, because we've talked mm-hmm. previously before, not on this podcast. Uh, you used to work in Florida, and you worked under mm-hmm. laws where you could have been fired if you would have lived openly. Yeah. I mean, does it kind of feel like it's a similar thing, but on another side of a coin? And I'm sorry if I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but mm-hmm. it's not like, holiday dinners haven't been around they've, they've been around for mm-hmm. years and, and people have always had cliches of the uncle says something <laughs> you know it, this is not new to us but what I feel like is our reaction and what we are willing to overlook is kind of new so I actually want to jump in because both of you guys nailed something that is funny because I actually didn't realize it until this conversation there's no more middle ground is what it feels like mm-hmm. it, you're either an extremist left or you're an extremist right, or you're third party. That's it. Yeah. There's no middle ground where we can say, I like this, without somebody being like, screw you. You know what I mean? Like, there's none of that. Like, I don't know where where did it go away? Well, we when we talk about de- demonizing, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. I have personally been called a centrist as a derogatory term 
And I don't think I'm a centrist. I think I'm just all over the place. <laughs> I, I've certainly heard that in, in, in recent months in you know, the last year or so. Which I, I don't know what get. that word means. I don't understand that term centrist. It, it just means you're not on anybody's team, I guess, or whatever. Like I wasn't I wasn't you're moderate. A, I, I moderate centrist or what and I, I wasn't even in a conversation that lent itself to being left, right, center, or anything like that. I just I brought up something and somebody just kind of you know, through an f bomb and centrist together, <laughs> and I was, and, and it, it was kind of this wake up moment when I kind of realized that, oh, you know, maybe it's not just Twitter anymore. Maybe, maybe this is real life. But it seems that everybody has this assumption, like they they go zero to Nazi in like thirty seconds. Like, like it, it, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be just that you disagree. You have to go to some extreme. And I'm sorry, I just Godwin to myself on that. If anybody knows what Godwin theory is, but it, 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 like you have to go to some really extreme bad thing. It's not mm -hmm. possible to just be different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I was going to say that I think I personally started to see winds change probably into Obama's second term. And the reason why I say that is I actually wrote an article for the Evergrade not long after uh, Trump was first elected as president. And I reflected on the fact that in 2008, Probably the biggest fight, like the biggest argument between John McCain and Barack Obama was who could reach across the aisle more. <laughs> Remember, like yeah. John McCain was a maverick. He was going to, you know, if he needed to stick to principles and deviate from the Republican Party. He was going to do that. And Barack Obama was a community organizer and who was going to get things done and who was going to be friendlier in D.C. That was what they were debating, truly. And and then we get That's a really good point. I didn't even think of it that way. That was I mean, fantastic. Like when you think about it, that wasn't that long ago. You know, maybe a decade. But I think it's just very interesting. And as much as we want to say that the guy is a complete idiot and full of nonsense, I feel like Donald Trump was very strategic in dialing in to something that he saw in the underbelly of the, you know, the American people that we didn't even see of, no, people don't want to reach across the aisle. People don't want to get along. They want to dig their heels in and stick to their own and stick to their sides. And so once he was able to maybe pull from his base and discover those people, you saw it happen on the other side as well. I think and, you and absolutely nailed it. So um, obviously I feel like the reason that Dyer chose us is that we, both have very different viewpoints of things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I actually have um, no idea where you land, Egypt. <laughs> no one does. That's the best part. I'm the wild card. I was totally honest. Uh, and sorry if I'm interrupting, but like you, you're the comic dads, you know, you're a mm -hmm. parent. And I, I have heard, I don't know how many times somebody say, uh, well, I have to put my children out of the room if the president's on TV or or we can't have these conversations around that. The, we can't have F conversations that. around the table. No. You know, how am I going to raise my kids and teach them to not bully, you know? And like these conversations, mm -hmm. I don't have access to that perspective, obviously, unless you count my plants. And I do. <laughs> but I, I thought that would be a kind of interesting perspective. But yeah, I, I didn't actually realize uh, where you, you fell on things. It just, you, you always seem to approach people with such a positive attitude I kind of like that. I don't, I don't care what anybody else believes in. I know what I stand for. And like the, the outward I want to put on people. Like when I, when I walk up to you and say, hi, I'm not wearing a blue shirt or red shirt, or anything like that. I literally love people. That's why I'm in the industry. I am 
Um, I love picking people's brain, even if I completely disagree with you. You can be like, I mean, I'm going to go this extreme, like, I hate black people. That is the person I want to sit down and have a conversation with. Exactly. I want to know why. I want to understand why. I want to, like, like uh, mind hunters this. Like, I want to jump in their brain and I want to pick it apart because I'm like, explain why. And maybe, just maybe. I can change your mind. See, you're a stronger person than I, because I'm not even sure how to even navigate that conversation. In fact, that is a common thing for me when it comes up to a lot of issues. In case nobody's figured this out for mm. a while, I'm white. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that I have, I have, I, I, I do have difficulty sometimes engaging in a lot of conversations mm. that go there, and I think it's because I just, I do not have the experience perspectives. Um, and I feel I'm, like I just have a weak point in a lot of that stuff. And I, at least, I feel like a little bit lost. So I've actually just told people, like, I really don't know how to talk about it. And I, and I, feel, I, like, I feel like a lot of people are offended when I say that. So <laughs> I have two points to make. So first, I want to tell you where I stand, essentially. So where I grew up was a very conservative, very non-dominational church family. And um, I grew up with the white side of my family where I was figuratively and literally the black sheep of the family. Um, and it was, it was a difficult upbringing and the church did not help me. So I kind of grew up with a distaste in my mouth about the Republican party, um, Christianity, a lot of these things that kind of like the conservatives lean towards. And I'm not bashing by any means. I'm very respectful on this terms. Um, I just found out that I wanted to investigate more. I, I knew there was other things out there. So I did my homework and I, I really went out of my way by myself to see other people's points of view to kind of prove my parents wrong almost. <laughs> um, and now it's funny because I'm 31 and I find myself in the weirdest little like mental triangle that I'm in is where I think like baseline I would consider myself. I, I honestly don't know because I have so many republican views that i'm like yeah that's that's a no-brainer like don't touch our guns leave people alone like if you own some property mm -hmm. out in the land leave them alone like they're not doing yeah. that and then i have like very democratic views where i'm like you know ab abortion where i'm like that's a woman like you don't tell a woman how to m like monitor her body like i don't have those parts like i can't i can't speak for that because I don't know. I got a wife and let me tell you, like I see what she goes through and I, mm -mm, there's no way I'm telling any woman what the hell to do. So I find myself in this weird, complicated box where it shifts. I would say mm -hmm. I'm in a gray zone, <laughs> but I do mm -hmm. not ever judge anybody again on their opinions on things, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I stand. And second of all, dire, I, sorry, I'm like tr totally like, train <laughs> rolling this on no, prop no, no. all of this um i honestly want to say this from the bottom of my heart do not ever 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 feel bad being white and having an opinion that shit pisses me off so bad Second how people, that. people Second literally that. scrutinize white people mm -hmm. for having an opinion and Horrible. that really pisses me off because it's like exactly what you said you're like i don't have an opinion and then people are mad that you don't have an opinion where it's like kind of the point where it's just like, you know, and I have a lot of friends that have came to me within the last couple of years. And they're like, I don't know how to respond to things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, be honest. 
because right. honestly, at the end of the day, somebody's going to pick you apart. Somebody's going to call you racist. Somebody's going to call you ignorant mm -hmm. and it's going to happen. So honestly, do you. I mean, you got you have two African-Americans right now just rooting you on. <laughs> yeah. so Actually, right, if, if I heard correctly, you got two mixed folks on your podcast right now, right? <laughs> so very strategic yes, you on your part. Actually, it wasn't strategic. I, uh, <laughs> I just pulled in the people I like. But thank you. Um, it's, it's kind of funny that you say that is... Uh, as a as somebody who works in the news field, I'll say, mm -hmm. I mean, I used to actually keep a list. I don't know what happened to it, but I actually kept a list of all the times of like this day I was a fascist and this day I was a communist. And then this day I was <laughs> people will usually kind of take what you've done and put it through their lens, usually with a lot of stuff that they have going on in their own life. And then I'll get the message. And all I was doing was like city council voted on this. So I'm kind of used to the stuff. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like it stopped bothering me a while ago. But on a certain level, when it came to like my personal life, a lot of times I just maybe wouldn't have an opinion or maybe I'm fully, fully upfront that I'm ignorant on a lot of things. And if I mm -hmm. am, I'll just say, you know what, I really don't know what, or I don't know how to talk about that. And I just feel like a lot of conversations ended up being kind of derailed by kind of that approach. Like they really, mm -hmm. they, they wanted Twitter in real life and I wasn't able to give it to them. But now that we've gone down that rabbit hole, <laughs> The, one of the main reasons I wanted to bring you guys in here because we are a pop culture <laughs> podcast was mm -hmm. I felt it would be nice to kind of each of us bring an example of some sort of pop culture lesson that we've kind of used in our own life. There were things that I felt like I kind of grew up with and, and gravitated toward, you know, all those Superman comic books I consumed. And I feel like those lessons kind of stuck and I, I, I kind of use them as waypoints sometime in life. So I was wondering how other folks approach that. I have an example from my own life, but um, first, does anybody, I'll just leave it up to you guys, does anybody kind of want to bring forth something that's a little bit of a pop culture example in their life that they feel that uh, they kind of use as maybe like a waypoint for themselves? Sure. There, there was definitely something that came to mind just thinking about where we are right now in our country and our society. And uh, I don't know if either of you are Black Mirror fans, but there was. Yeah. Yeah. So there was an episode a few years ago called Men Against Fire. This was an episode about it, it focused on two soldiers and their job is to go after these figures that are called roaches. And they're really like we'll call them mutations, some kind of crazy, rabid mutation that's overtaking this this third world, you know, nondescript third world country. And so when the episode starts, you see them going into going into homes, going into slums, finding these roaches, these mutations, and well, exterminating them, you know, killing them. Every time they, you know, execute their task well, then they're rewarded with this like augmented reality fantasy. One of the characters gets like a, an erotic fantasy, if you will. Uh, so, you know, there's that positive reinforcement behind it. But as the episode progresses, one of the characters, one of the soldiers, so they, they have this implant that they have now in the military that all of them get, his, and it gives them those augmented realities, his starts to malfunction. And so the next day they go out onto the field and they go to, you know, do their task. And he's at this home and the other soldier that he's with starts shooting at this. If I remember correctly, it was like a woman and her children and starts executing them. 
And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it turns out that his fellow soldier is seeing the roaches, is seeing the mutation, but he's not because his implant malfunctioned. And all this time, he wasn't actually killing a mutated figure. He was killing human beings. He was killing oppressed human beings. He was killing someone who the government decided were the enemy. And the reason why I think about that is I feel like in so many ways, this is what's happening in our society, that we have decided that the other side is a roach. The other side is a mutation. And through the 24-7 cable news feed, through certain politicians, we are reinforced. They're the enemy. We've got to exterminate them. And there's no way out of this really augmented reality. It's an augmented reality. Because if you sit down and have conversations with people with whom you disagree, you'll realize that you have so much more in common than you ever imagined. But right now, we're all living in this augmented reality where we just want to exterminate the enemy. And that, that's a fascinating example, too, a perfect example. Because um, one of the things that I've, I've talked about with people before is the use of non-human terms for people that you don't like, rats, roaches, as long as you're not using anything that implies that they're a person. You know, it's, it's almost like you remove right. the, from the fact that that's an actual person. I feel like psychologically it takes you a step away, right? And it makes it mm-hmm. easier for you to say, oh, well, that's okay that I have this, this, and this emotion now because I'm, I'm taking away the human being factor of it, you know? When you act, and you're right. If you get up close and you have to see the fact that, oh, that's an actual person, that's a whole other set of factors that you actually have to navigate. It almost feels like if we just keep saying roaches and rats, we don't know how to navigate that. Damn, that you guys just like literally blew my mind. I don't know if you guys saw me over here. Just like I, I had to take a sip of my tequila because I'm just like, first of all, Melania, fantastic reference. That was like the second you brought that up, I was like military. I was like, I can't remember the ending of it, but I was like, yeah. I remember this. I remember this. And I specifically remember that scene where he's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You nailed it. You like painted the picture yeah. in my head. Egypt, I can tell. I can tell. Like you talk about the the gears turning, I can see the gears turning. I'm 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 game. What I'm do you, What do you got? So she threw me off super hard because like I didn't see that coming. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, for me, I was going to go with something like basic, like you know, like Civil War or something like that. But honestly, the X Men comic books, the X Men TV, like '90s. I don't know how old everybody is. I'm 31. Um. Back in the 90s, things were a little bit different. And and it didn't even start in the 90s. Um, X-Men was actually created in the 60s, 70s. Um, both characters very opposing to each other. You know, Professor X, Magneto. They had very opposing ideas Why? where they all, all had the same goal. Every, every goal was the same, but they were so opposing in the way that they did things that they fought and they fought and they fought. And, and, and like the great thing that you brought up with Black Mirror is that um, <clears throat> they had a name for them, mutants, mutants. And it was okay to hate mutants, but it's not okay to hu- hate humans or people. Mm-hmm. Like they never considered them that word. The word was mutants. And um, both characters were designed and developed based on Martin Luther King and- um, Malcolm X? 
Malcolm X. Thank you. Oh wow! I told, I'm brain farting all over. Really? I did not. I didn't know, I didn't know this about that. Wow. Yeah. Mind so blown. Um, Martin Luther King is supposed to represent um, Professor X. Wow, um, I had Malcolm no idea. X is they couldn't make him black Guido. though, huh? What's that? <laughs> they couldn't make him black though, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no, they made um, Magneto um, from an internment camp. Yeah, as Ger- yeah, so, German. <laughs> okay you know i yeah, see where they're going yeah. but i mean in all honesty when these comics were coming out in the 60s and 70s they wouldn't have sold if one of them were black let's be honest no that's for, a good point for oh, the time yeah. it was and where they were producing and who was able to buy comics yeah i wouldn't mind if characters developed and changed over time however so with these characters being based on actual real people, because Stan Lee is the one who decided, like, I really like this guy. This guy I understand, too. You know, like, Stan mm-hmm. Lee was very open-minded in a time where it wasn't common to be open-minded. Like, he's one of the greatest there is. Um, it's interesting to see characters like that, for me, that never come together unless everybody who hates mutants you can choose a party, you can choose a word, whatever you want. When you call them mutants, and you brought this up and it just really hit it for me, um, mm-hmm. it makes them less than human, less than good, less than you. And the only time these two opposing teams ever came together was to overcome people attacking them as a whole. And I think uh, that that's the one for me that I always think about a lot because it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, like, the fact that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee did this and pitched it without really anybody getting it is beautiful. Cause they, they mm-hmm. were supporting certain movements that most people would have not agreed with it, but they did it in a sly way while, while still sending a positive message out. And I am like, still to this day, I'm like, you guys are risky AF and that's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's crazy that you use that as your example, Egypt, because ironically, for the last few weeks, Mm -hmm. um, I have been describing myself as Magneto. (laughs) Okay, you have to explain that. Yeah, I have to explain that. And also, I I do like comic books, Mm -hmm. but I mentioned, I I made the mistake of mentioning this story or, or mentioning to my girlfriend that I yeah. am Magneto. And then I said something about, it was still the Marvel Universe. I'm defending yeah. myself. It was still the Mar- Marvel Universe. But I said like Iron Man or something like that. And she was like, um, Melina, they're not even in the same. I said, there's, yes, they're they both. are. I didn't they say interact. Superman. I didn't say Superman. No, no, I didn't I'm say not even Batman. I'm still in the Marvel Universe. So I am me. not one of those fanboys by yeah. any mean. I'm, I was chill as <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't care. Like, people, yeah. I understand people don't enjoy or spend as much nerdy time as I do yeah. on certain things. But yeah, um, no, but, I, but she's right. She's right. But I do she, think just in case she listens to this podcast, you're you're right, babe. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I reject the notion that if you don't know what happened in season three, episode two of Star Trek, you're not a real Star Trek fan. Yeah. If you know what the exact yeah, line, no, no, you know, I mean, just still enjoy it. Yeah, I, the bottom line, she's very smart. So I've been calling myself Magneto, and the reason why is, and I know we're eventually going to get to politics, so I'll just say it right now. I am the Seattle conservative. And yeah. I do identify as a right of center libertarian. However, I am going to vote for Joe Biden in this election. And I and Dyer, I know this the last time we talked, I said yeah. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna vote for either of them, but yeah. I've actually now gotten 
on board to vote for Joe Biden. And so the reason why I'm calling myself Magneto is I know I'm the bad guy. I know I'm evil. <laughs> but there is a larger evil force right now. And, and we need, the fact we that need is, to there's band other together. Like you that will follow your lead. Yeah. Like that's Magneto. Exactly. Like, Come with right. as he floats away. Yes. <laughs> and everyone's like, I want to go with that guy. He's super yes. cool. <laughs> and there, there is a greater threat to our society or AKA, AKA we mutants right now that we need to band together. But also I want to make it clear that next Wednesday, November 4th, I'm back to, <laughs> I'm back to tormenting everybody at Xavier school. So yeah. you're like, I will rip that school down yeah. block by block with my yeah, bare truce, hands. Truce ends on November 4th. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to throw at you guys, I'm sure you did. You would not guess this at all, Star Trek. Star Trek had this episode in season four, it's called The Drumhead. And it's Star Trek The Next Generation, I should say, because Picard is my captain. The Drumhead it kind of starts off with this like terrorist espionage act on the Enterprise, and they have to bring in this admiral who's kind of like a detective to investigate the matter. And it's almost like a tribunal. The whole thing takes place like in a courtroom of sorts on the Enterprise. But the admiral, she kind of goes beyond that incident. And before you know it, everybody on board is some kind of suspect or because uh, ev everybody has things that they're just not proud of. And then next thing you know, the conspiracies come in and the paranoia becomes like a whole thing. It's been used to kind of explain the whole other, uh, the others thing and demonizing others, demonizing differences. Um, it's been used as a metaphor. It's been referenced as a metaphor for like the Salem witch trials or McCarthyism. Spencer mm -hmm. Garrett, who's an actor in this episode, felt it was, uh, it was actually a metaphor for the AIDS issue happening in society during that time. This happened during the uh, early 90s. And so in the end, this admiral is finding all the little differences in people, making them enemies, finding conspiracies. And now when I watch it today, and this is kind of why it rises to the top for me, is I can't watch this episode and not see Twitter or social media or just something and how people kind of have this ability to demonize people through these platforms in and spread conspiracy theories, you know, through it. And in the way that these spread so quickly is there's this an old uh, Jonathan Swift quote that uh, I'm going to butcher a little bit here, but it's it's falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it. And that's kind of the the example that folks use for social media that, you know, you, you throw all this stuff out there and then the truth will eventually have to catch up. But by the time that mm -hmm. happens, the, the deed's done and the damage yeah. is done. And so now when I watch this, I, I, I constantly think of the drumhead when I think of how we are kind of using social media to kind of further this whole divide and not be civil with each other. Because that's essentially what happened in the courtroom on the Enterprise. And this was something that was created before social media. It was 1991, I think this episode came out. Correct. I, I was literally just Googling it. You nailed it on the head. Well, that's the thing is, this kind of makes a point that there is something within our human nature to constantly do this. It's like a human fault. No matter what, we will always kind of try to find some sort of pattern and we will take the little thing that's not like the others and that's the bad guy. 
you know, and and, and, may, and we find ways to do that and make it easy and maybe even intellectualize it. But at the core of it, we're really it's it's really kind of like the worst of us to do that. We we did it with Salem witch trials and McCarthyism or the AIDS issue that I brought up, all those three things. And it kind it takes effort on our part to rise above it and be better. There's this wonderful quote from Captain Picard afterwards that I think just I think it's probably one of the best things that has ever been written on Star Trek and maybe later. I'll actually, mm-hmm. I'll edit in the actual quote. We think we've come so far. Torture of heretics, burning of witches, all ancient history. Then, before you can blink an eye, suddenly it threatens to start all over again. Mr. Worf, villains who twirl their mustaches are easy to spot. Those who clothe themselves in good deeds are well camouflaged. She or someone like her will always be with us, waiting for the right climate in which to flourish, spreading fear in the name of righteousness. Vigilance, Mr. Wolf. That is the price we have to continually pay. Oof. Wow. Oof. Wow. Damn, that's... So Star Trek, I mean, that was kind of the thing that I thought that always reminds me of when we get to this area of you go so far in your perspective but at some point you get to an area where you start demonizing other people and i'm sorry i used the word demonizing but someone used it in an i interview love it recently i love that and word. i love it but you get you do get to a point where it's all of a sudden you have lost the ability to see far enough your, the other direction to realize that there's a person over there and I don't know. Episodes like this, one of the reasons why I like Star Trek is because it's usually about a bigger picture. It's not just about the courtroom on the Enterprise. It's about us. Uh, You do such a great job of, like, both of you guys do this. uh, Being able to take an episode of something, shine a light on it, and show so much more detail than what we see at surface level. Um, Star Trek has been so pivotal for years first of all like let's just work on this episode first apparently i just looked it up and william Riker was the director for this specific episode yeah, that you're Jonathan talking Frakes. about he wanted to make a point and i've noticed this with star trek is that um star trek was consistently breaking the barriers on things and this is one respect that i have for star trek um captain kirk you know you know everyone's sluttiest captain aside from star lord uh, <laughs> uh he was the very first white man to kiss a black girl on tv if yeah. i'm correct i think that was the one of the i biggest... believe the episode was plato's stepchildren yeah where and, like uh, literally it blew wow, my they were like yeah. interracial kissing well they they actually <laughs> wouldn't show that episode was... in half the country they the state the local networks shut it off i, think I can guess which half <laughs> <laughs> you would be right. Um, yeah, yeah no, a lot of people only saw that in reruns. Yeah, and it's it's crazy that like the show does this thing where because I mean at that time they knew they were going to get for it. They knew oh. it. Well, you talk about kind of the broad picture, like I, like I said earlier, Picard's my captain. I feel like that's where kind of hit a peak. The man. the uh, with the original series, it has its flaws. People always point them out, and they're very obvious oh, when yeah. you see them. But the very basis of it, I think, sets the foundation for the reason Star Trek is so successful and why people look at that and say, I, I really need to get to that future. 
because in the 60s, you had a very cold war going on, mm-hmm. right? And a Russian Everyone was, was driving the ship along next to a Japanese guy. And this is post-World War II. And uh, you had a black woman doing the comms for you. You had someone who wasn't even from the planet leading your entire science division, you know? Yeah. And they were all on the bridge, you know? In yeah. fact, I believe Nichelle Nichols, when she, she met Martin Luther King Jr. at one point, and she was actually considering she wanted to go back to dancing and she was going to leave the show, and he told her not to. It's like, you don't get it. Like, we're on the bridge You're, you're now, breaking the you barrier. Know? Like, they see wow. that, you know? And wow. so... Say what we want about the flaws of the original series, and I do say them myself. Everybody was on the bridge, and there was room for everybody, and they all worked together. And I think that's why everybody saw that, including myself. And I see it, I think, even more in mm-hmm. uh, the next generation. Everybody more is on the bridge, created. and it and they they all disagree. <laughs> so I mean, I, that kind of caps up my, my point there. But um, I mean, we've had this whole theme throughout this uh, episode, and I. I have been. I was a little nervous about it myself because I didn't want a political episode. I've never wanted a political episode because mm-hmm. I mean does, we're around a th- election. Trump and Biden's Biden. names have been mentioned in this podcast. I'm not really going out there to throw their names around, but mm-hmm. this podcast, in my mind, it's never it's never been about politics or kind of lifting up or putting down kind of one other person in favor of this theme of civility. This is really. This is about us. I mean, th- that's really what it is. This is about us and how we get together and how we don't get together. And there's this kind of this illusion, a divide between us that we keep all falling into. And I feel like that's what this is really about. How do we overcome that? Not how do we overcome, you know, playing politics like sports and getting the right votes in for the right candidates and stuff like that. We, we can always get to that at some point. But... At some point, we have to at least get back to the point where we realize, hey, there are humans out there. So this is about us. I hope everybody kind of gets that message. And with that thought, I mean, did you guys have any other final thoughts maybe that kind of came up or how you're dealing with the uh, upcoming holidays or just advice for sitting around the table with your uncle? Anything like that? Honestly, at the end of the day, you just have to remind, remind yourself that no one else has walked through your own shoes. Everyone has a completely different view on life. Um, My brothers and I had the exact same upbringing, the exact same parents, the same house. And we see things very differently. But that does not mean at the end of the day that we're not brothers. Right. And I kind of need, like, for me, it's a need. I need people to remind themselves that because people have different views doesn't doesn't mean that we can't be brothers or sisters or friends and family. I'm so sick of seeing posts on Facebook. Like if you're voting for this person, unfriend me. Right. Guys, like, come on. Like at the end of the day, I like chocolate. You like strawberry. Sorry, but that shouldn't divide it. And the, the divide like you brought up is, is something that we need to reevaluate ourselves. And I don't think anybody's going to ever get over that until they take a good long hard look in the mirror and they're like what am i doing what energy am i producing and i think it, everyone needs to start focusing on themselves instead of caring what right. other people are doing so much i like how you say everybody because everybody does i am mm-hmm. today a very very different person than i was many years ago i've 
I always think about things that I've said and done and been like, wow, that's a bad, <laughs> that's a really bad example of me. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. it took me a while and it took friends and actually talking to people. If I, if I, if I would have had a lot of conversations as a teenager online, I would have never gotten there. I would have never progressed as a person. And so I feel like maybe the thing that I kind of dance around is we need to kind of reconfigure the reward because I feel like people are rewarded for raging out, you know, and when, oh, when they should probably have another instinct, you know, you don't get really get rewarded for uh, patting someone on the back or sitting down with them. You know, you get rewarded for being the first to, right. to rage out. And so anyway, I'm going around and around here, but <laughs> anyway, Melina, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the final word here. No pressure. I, 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 I definitely concur with a, a lot of what you were saying, Egypt. Um, my perspective is I still truly believe that most Americans have shared values. We have mm-hmm. shared values. Mm-hmm. We, we want the same things. You know, we want to have a healthy family, whatever that looks like, a healthy community. We want people to, to prosper. And really where the division is, is how we get there. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we want different things. We want the same things. We just disagree on how to get there. And that's something you can work through. I mean, if you have a job, then you you face those things at work every day, right? How we're going to solve this problem, how we're going to attack this project. So I think it's important that we, we look at people who are um, different from us or in different political parties, different political viewpoints, and and try to find the, the common ground and and try to find commonalities. And certainly during this time, you know, being so close to the election, no matter what happens, the the hope for me is that we just find a way to to have the best society we can. Okay, and that is gonna do it for this very lengthy, very special, very odd episode of Northwest Nerd. Yeah, it is a little bit different, so thanks for sticking in there with us. I know times are tough. I know that they are tense and they are stressful. I feel it. I'm right there with you. And I know that, yes, there are very important issues to discuss and solve. There's very important candidates out there that we're all talking about. But at the end of the day, all of that aside, when it gets down to what's important, when it gets down to us, I hope, as Egypt said, we can all take a really good look in the mirror. I think that's some of the best piece of advice I can pull out of this. Just We all need to take a look in the mirror. And you know what? Maybe if we're using some other title or name for somebody other than their actual name, other than who they are as a person, maybe that's a good place to start. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I want to thank... Everybody who took part in this podcast, Tay Phoenix with Trek the Vote, the nonpartisan effort, and also Dave Ross and Michael Medved, who took the time to sit down with me long before this particular concept of an episode, the way it turned out at least, was even a concept. And finally, my co-host Egypt and co-founder of the Seattle conservative, Melina White, who I had a wonderful time. I felt it was quite refreshing. And I think those are the kind of conversations we can be having out there if we allow ourselves to. And you know something? I'd actually be curious about how you are dealing with this in your life. You know, reach out to us on social media. Um, Tell me something about when 
you had an issue with your family around that holiday table or someone at work, how are you, how, how are you doing? What are the, the tips and tricks that you know of navigating tense conversations, how you are able to thrive past differences and get along? I'd be interested in that. So let me know. With that, I'm going to call this. Thanks again to everybody who took part. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Dyer Oxley with Northwest Nerd.